We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. Hey, Home Where You Belong listeners. I have a great deal to share with you. Audible is now offering a 30-day free trial that allows you to explore its incredible selection of audiobooks and podcasts across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. For details, visit audibletrial.com belong. That's audibletrial.com belong. Now, on with today's show. There is, I think, for everybody, a responsibility to do the work on yourself so that you're okay wherever you are, that you get to be you and I get to be me, and that is that is good and that is that is at home. But there is also the joy and the love that gets created with another person, and what gets created there very much feels like home to me. Home isn't a warm and fuzzy concept for everyone. As someone who's struggled to establish roots of my own, I have mixed feelings about the word. That's why I want this podcast to focus on more than the latest trends in home design and decor, awesome architecture, and cool communities. Yes, we will have content like that, but I also want to explore how things like self-worth and relationships with family, friends, and significant others impact our ability to enjoy a home where we belong. That's why I invited best-selling author and award-winning speaker Chad Peavy to be today's featured guest. Chad grew up in an emotionally and physically abusive family in rural Arkansas and spent years learning to overcome the trauma, depression, and anxiety that followed him into adulthood. After earning a master's degree from the University of Texas at Austin, Chad founded several businesses and nonprofits and, with his husband, a foundation for the arts. Following his passion for personal development, he also created a system for replacing damaging beliefs with healthy mindsets and now offers guidance and support to others that want to find the same freedom. Chad, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I really appreciate you taking some time out to join us today. It's my pleasure, Chip. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm currently about halfway through your book. I was hoping to finish it before this interview today, but I will finish it. Um, It's called Break and Untangle. Discover the freedom to be you despite the inherited mindsets holding you back, which is excellent, by the way. I highly recommend it. We'll have links in the show notes. You're welcome. Having grown up as a a closeted and conflicted gay kid uh, in a conservative Christian family in the South. I was in Alabama, you were in Arkansas, and I was probably about a decade and a half before you, maybe two decades. But I can relate to a lot of your a lot of your personal history. But everyone's story is unique. So I'm really interested. Could you maybe just tell start out by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and experience uh, growing up uh, at home in rural Arkansas? 
Yeah. So I, I, like you said, I grew up in rural Arkansas, not exactly gay Mecca, as you yeah. can imagine, <laughs> much like Alabama. Yeah. We're probably uh, similar towns. Yeah. So I think we had maybe, let's see, when I was growing up, I think there were maybe three stoplights. Oh, so you know we were we were pretty fancy. Chip. That's a pretty... that's a big town where I come from. We we yeah. had stop so, signs. <laughs> I, I think I think the population when I was growing up is a little bigger now, but it was about twenty five hundred when I was growing up. I graduated in a class of one hundred and eighty three, so oh, it was it was pretty small, pretty small place. Um, this was before Will and Grace, and <laughs> so. Uh, and I was growing up in a pretty conservative Christian fundamentalist home. And the idea of being gay wasn't just scary. It was my eternal life was tied to what was perceived as the decision at the time. And and so it was, you know, it was, it was pretty scary growing up. Um, I, I did what every Southern boy does. Who's trying to survive. I got a girlfriend. Uh, I, did everything I was supposed to do. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Um, I, I was doing just about everything I could to not be gay, not be different, to fit in, to not get beat up, to not mm. get bullied, to stay off my dad's radar. My dad was um, a, a sadist. He took pleasure in, in hurting me, uh, which I've learned a lot about as an adult. And so, you know, growing up, I was a very sensitive little kid. Um, and, and I, it was not easy in that environment. It was not easy. Sure. So that's just a little bit of the flavor of, of what I was growing up around and who I was growing up. Despite that, uh, what you went through in your childhood and adolescence, you went on to create, um, create and accomplish some great things, um, both in education and your business life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, when I, left home, I went to the University of Arkansas and I had been a drum major, which is the guy that oh. stands in front of the marching band and leads oh, yeah. the marching band. I had done that in middle school and high school and I, I loved doing that. And then I, so I got a chance to do that at the University of Arkansas for the, the Razorback marching band. That was a big, a big fun thing for me to get to do. Um, and then I went to uh, the University of Texas at Austin and did my master's degree there. I realized after two degrees that I did not want to be a professional musician uh -huh. and or teach music. And so I um, sort of accidentally wound up in the real estate industry and I wound up teaching a I'm sorry, starting a company uh, that was a, the in-house marketing firm for the world's largest real estate office. And so okay. I was helping thousands of agents around the world develop their marketing plans. And then eventually that turned into helping them start their business and launching this online platform that was used by agents around the world. Um, so that was what I was doing professionally. And then in the nonprofit world, I was president of the Austin Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. I founded the Austin Pride Foundation, which still today puts on the annual festival and parade. Uh, and I got married. My husband and I have been married uh, since it became legal nationally. Wow. In 2015, we got married. So, uh, but we've been together for I think 14 years, and together we started the PS Foundation for the Arts, which is a nonprofit, and we host a summer music festival at the University of Texas at Austin, and we bring in about a, just over a hundred musicians, kids from that's around the awesome. world to that's study awesome. music for 10 days. And so that's yeah, that's professionally a, and personally a little bit of what's going on since since coming out of arkansas you were a busy guy i'm surprised you had time to 
to write a book. Of course, that came a little bit later, I think. But um, but despite all those successes that you mentioned, um, some of your past caught up with you a little bit in your late twenties. Can can you talk about that trauma that you experienced and maybe kind of what led to that? Yeah. So I, my childhood and growing up was especially challenging, you know, being other and not fitting in and not just being different, but terrified of being found out. I developed a whole lot of survival skills that, like I mentioned earlier, just allowed me to not get beat up and bullied and and sort of fly under the radar as far as who I really was. Sure. Um, eventually, and what I learned was, was eventually what I learned was, was that those survival skills that I had developed as a kid stuck with me and they had funny ways of showing up for me in my personal and professional life. I couldn't keep a relationship. Imagine mm. that I, I didn't have great relationship skills. Uh, I didn't know how to stay in a relationship and fight for someone I cared about. My model was to just leave or hide or become small. Um, I had a hard time relating to men professionally. It was really difficult for me working with especially alpha type men that reminded mm. me of my dad. It was especially challenging me for to do to do business with them. Mm. Um, and in really strange ways, ships like I would I wouldn't charge them the same amount that I would charge a woman, for example. Like with women, it was very easy. Like this is what we do as a company. This is what you pay. I swipe your credit card. We're done. With men, I was found myself in these weird situations where I'm trying to impress them and I'm not charging them. And it's like my eventually my was my staff. It was like you realize that this is not good, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, oh yeah, you're probably right about that. So I, what I realized when I wrote the book and, and what I write about in the book was this process of these survival skills and untangling those survival skills and untangling those inherited mindsets that I picked up as a kid and these really funny and peculiar ways that they showed up for me unexpectedly as an adult that I had to go back and untangle and reprogram and figure out a way to thrive and make it and do the things that I wanted to do to create the life I wanted to create. Sure. It, there was a time that I think you cover in the book that was maybe one of the lowest times. I think it was around 2008 when the economy went south. Um, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And was that really the catalyst that kind of maybe put you more on a path toward healing or recovering or exploration or yeah that it was really intuitive and thanks for reading the book um when the big recession hit back in 08 i lost my business my car was repossessed i really hit bottom professionally and when i hit bottom professionally i stumbled upon personal development and really fell in love with the idea of being able to create my life, being able to overcome what I'd gone through as a kid and being able to chart my path forward, that my past didn't have to constantly be an anchor around me, that I don't have to carry it into my future, that I can do something different. Uh, and those were powerful, powerful messages for me as a young 20 something year old that had built something up like a, like built a house without a foundation mm. and then a strong wind life circumstances comes along and knocks it all over. And here I am not really knowing what to do about any of it. So these ideas that personal development offered me allowed me to 
put myself back together. And I, I say myself, I, I, I would be remiss not to mention that I had an incredible support system uh, yeah, to help absolutely. me do that. So, yeah. So when you say personal development, I, I have an idea what that, what that means to me, but you were at a really low point and I wish I'd, I've been there too. It sounds like you couldn't even get out of bed some days. What were some of the things you started to do related to personal development? Were you reading books? Were you going to therapy? What, what were you doing to try to learn more? So all of the above. All the above. I had to really, yeah, I had to really think about how I looked at mentorship, especially. Okay. Um, growing up, I, th I think I had this idea that in a mentor, there was going to be some old man with white hair that would come along and show me the ways of the world yeah. and open doors of opportunity for me and keep me from falling down and hurting myself. And dude just never showed up. Yeah. Like that. I just, he just never showed up for me. He didn't knock, knock on my, didn't knock on my door either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, but honestly, I don't know about you, but I, I, I sort of had this fantasy and it took me a long time to overcome yeah. that fantasy that somebody would come along and save me and sure. take care of me. Um, it, it, that stuck with me, but I had to really think about this idea of mentorship and how I could get what I needed. And so I, I started thinking about mentors in terms of, first of all, having categories of mentors, Okay, having people that could guide me financially, having people that could guide me in relationships and how I communicated, people that could guide me professionally, people that could guide me spiritually. And so having different pockets of mentors instead of looking to one person sure. to cure all was a helpful idea for me. It was also helpful for me to think about mentors as being people that I was seeing on YouTube and mm. people, authors that I was reading. So I looked at mentors and still today look at mentors, not necessarily as people that I have met or have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with, but people that are putting good work out into the world and showing their mistakes and showing how they overcome them. I appreciate those people and I use their lessons in my life. Um, and then therapy has always kind of played a role in my life. I'm still <laughs> in therapy and uh, coaching. And both of those things have been extremely useful to me on my path and helped me along. So all of the above to answer your yeah. question. Yeah, no. So, I mean, it sounds like all of those were, were helpful to you and important in the journey. Um, well, I'm a lot of work. <laughs> we all are. We're all, we're all human beings. At least all the people, I, all the people I know. Um, <laughs> but um your book focuses on rejecting some of the inherited um, toxic or sabotaging mindsets, um, ways of thinking that block us from our true selves. What were some of the damaging mindsets that you feel like you inherited and how have you been able to kind of break away from that or untangle that in your life? Well, I think the untangling, I, I think, is really important. And I, being able to identify what is a mindset that's holding me back, I think, is extraordinarily important in a person's life. And when I'm working with somebody, I, I get that question quite a bit about how do I identify what's how do I know what is a mindset that's that's toxic or holding me back? Sure. And I like to think about, for me personally, thinking about my anxiety and depression and 
I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I don't even play one on TV, <laughs> but I can just speak to my own experience uh, of, a, of a lifetime of dealing with anxiety and depression and how I look at those and how those have helped me reframe my mindsets. Okay. So my anxiety, I always think about that as being the tension that exists between the way things are and the way I want them to be. In my anxiety, I'm almost always future-based, thinking about something down the road. And it can be debilitating for me uh, to the point where my skin itches and, and skin crawls and just get just really worked up with, with anxiety. And when that happens, I think I stop myself and I think about what it is that is pulling me into the future. What are these ideas that are pulling me into what I'm expecting? All right. What is it that's future-based that's creating all of this tension? So that's one way it was to not just think about the mindset, but also think about the anxiety attached to it and look at that anxiety as a useful tool to help me figure out how to get back in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then thinking about my depression and Freud, I think gives the best definition of depression. And Freud said that depression is rage turned inward. And so when I stopped and thought about that definition, um, because I, I had grown up thinking that depression was sad people, mm -hmm. but realizing that depression was rage turned inward. When I start experiencing that, I stop and I ask myself, what are you mad about? What are you mad about? And why are you directing that anger at yourself instead of outward toward where it should be going? And so when I'm experiencing anxiety or I'm experiencing depression, I think about those definitions and I think about what's going on in my life and the mindsets around what I'm experiencing so that I can give myself some tools to move forward. And so that's how I think about what are those mindsets? What's going on? How do I move past this? Okay. In your book, you identify three parts of this kind of untangling process. You, you put them in categories of self strategy and social. Can, can you do, I know you can't condense your book into, you know, three minutes, but can you just give us a little idea of what you're thinking of in those areas and, and why you focused on those three areas particularly? Yes. So when I, when I started writing the book, the book was sort of a selfish mission for myself. I don't know about you, Chip, but I'll, I'll read something, uh, this fantastic book that gives me insight to my life. And then a month later, I've already forgotten what, it, <laughs> what I was supposed to learn. So what I wanted to do when I wrote the book was really give myself a blueprint to go back to knowing that life is a roller coaster and there are going to be ups and downs. And I don't look at myself as a perfect healed guru in any way. <laughs> I, I wanted to create a tool for myself so that when the inevitable happens, I have something to go back to, to remind myself of what to do. And so I collected along my journey, what was working for me. And when I started organizing the book, I realized, first of all, I had these 12 different mindsets, 12 different parts of my life or ideas around my life that I focused on in each of the chapters. And then when I went to organize the chapters of the book, I realized that there were these matters of self, like my identity and my internal dialogue and my life's purpose. And these were matters that just dealt with me. And mm -hmm. so that was self, which was one section. And then there were these mindsets that were a little bit more tactical and day to day, like how I'm my relationship with money, for example, like how I deal with money, how I think about productivity, I, th I used to think that having a blacked out calendar was like 
a badge of honor. And so thinking about being more mindfully productive. And so these were like strategic ways of, of going through my day. So that's the second section. Okay. And the third and final section was about social, which was my relationships and how I communicated and how I was showing up in the world, how other people uh, impacted me and I was impacting them. And so those were the three different parts of the book and how I organized it. Was there any particular moment that or event that encouraged you to write the book? Or you said you wanted a blueprint, but was there any kind of defining moment or was it just kind of a gradual realization this might be helpful? So when I mentioned earlier in this sort of professional bio that I that I gave <laughs> you, I, I was doing the real estate stuff and it filled the bank, but it didn't fill the soul. And I knew that I wanted to do something different. And I knew that that was going to be helping people that were on a similar journey to me. And so I, I wanted to write a book for those people. It's a very well-written book and it's, you know, already having an impact on me. It's, it's also a very, a very personal book, a very personal story. Was it difficult for you to get to a point where you could share personal details, particularly when you're talking about things like mental health? What was that process like for you? Hell. <laughs> yeah. Hell. Yeah, it was but, hell. Um, was, it, was it worth it? Yeah. I, I, yes. I mean, yes. Yes, definitely worth it. You know, my mom, who I write about a lot in the book, um, she has told me, you know, I, sh I share a lot. Like you said, yeah. it's, it's a it's a personal book and I share a lot. And I, I talk a lot about my shortcomings and I talk a lot about my mom and dad's shortcomings and my mom who with, with whom I still have a relationship and we work on that. She has shared the book with other people. She has shared it with her, um, the company that she works for. Oh, she great. has, she has done a lot to help me get it out there. Even though a lot of it was really hard on, on her. And one of the things that she told me, the reason that she is eager to get it out there is she said, if it helps just one person. And I have felt like that as well. Like mm. if, if it helps one person, it was worth it. But I, I don't know if you read the introduction, but I talk in the introduction mm. that it took four years to write the book yeah. because it, yeah, it wasn't like writing. It, it wasn't like writing a, a book on a particular, on an easy topic. There, there was yeah. stuff that would come up that I would have to stop and go and take back to my therapist and really process and work out. And so it, it shouldn't take four years to write a book, but this one did take me four years simply because of the go, stop, reflect. Do I really want to say that? Do I really want to share that? Write it. And then, and then this constant process of doing that over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you were having a therapy session or, or sharing things that you'd learned in therapy and then, and, and all these other ways that you've been reaching out to for personal development. Yeah. I mean, it could very well have just, it could have just as easily been called lessons from the couch. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it was very much an open book of what was going on for me in my therapy for sure. I also followed you on um, Instagram. You've got some interesting stuff there. There was one quote I saw that said, there comes a time in life when we stop asking why and start asking how. Can you talk about what you what you meant by that? 
Yeah. So I, I have found for me, I found for me, I got to this place where I got a little bit addicted to being unlovable. Hmm. And I got a little bit addicted to being broken. And I got a little bit addicted to always needing to find something else to fix. And a lot of times figuring out what there was needed to be fixed required asking why, why do you do that? And and going down that rabbit hole. And it's a rabbit hole that just keeps going and going and going as rabbit holes do. <laughs> and what I realized was at some point, at some point, we have to stop asking why, 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 why. And we have to start asking how, which is much more of an, uh, being in action. You know, if, if I want to create this great life, stop asking why I can't, why I'm unable, why I keep stopping myself and start asking, well, how are you going to do that exactly? And, and so that, that quote is a reminder for me that yes, there is, I think a much needed process that one goes through in life trying to figure out the why to understand yourself better. But there does come a day where you say, all right, how now, how do we get into action? How do we create the life we want to create? It really sounds like just coming into ownership of your life or self ownership rather than maybe just, I don't know about you, but it was tempting for me just to look for someone to blame rather than, you know, and there were people to blame, <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, and I was one of them, but, um, yeah. you know, at some point you have to say, okay, yes, this happened and let's talk about, explore that some, but what can I do now knowing that to make my life different, to make it better, to yeah. make a difference? Um, that can be a tricky balance to work through sometimes. It's tricky because it's what you said is true. Like there are people to blame yeah. and, and that makes it complicated. Like yeah. it's, it's not just you resolving it, but there's also this relationship that, yeah. and that makes it complicated. Like yeah. it's, it's not just you resolving it, but there's also this relationship that needs resolution as well. And sometimes those people are still in our lives and sometimes they're not. And depending on whether or not they are makes that relationship even trickier for you to resolve and move on with your life. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it, it's very, very complicated it's it's really tricky but to your point earlier it is worth it like yeah. it is worth it to at least consider it and go through some of those whys and then when you get to the place where you you have done enough you'll know like yeah. you know you you, you know uh, and for me it was anxiety oh yeah using anxiety as a tool where it was like all right it's time to move on <laughs> like you you have run this in the ground it, it's time to to go live and help and and be of service well I, I like kind of related to this i like what one of the things you wrote in the introduction to your book you said my past is my fuel not my excuse because mm -hmm. otherwise otherwise you could get hung up on you know like you said the problems that you've gone through and the being broken and or being a victim versus okay yeah that happened i can either use that to bring me down or i can use that now to as fuel to make something better so, yeah absolutely yeah not that that's absolutely. easy it sounds you know like a you know 
it's not easy to do, but again, worth the process, I would think. None of it's easy though, Chip. Yeah. Right? Like none of it is easy. If you find and, and the I, easy answer, if you could email me that, that would be great. I, yes, I'll, I'll put you on speed dial just for that. As soon as I come <laughs> across it, you're first to get that call. Uh, you mentioned a minute ago your um, relationship with your parents. You, you've kind of redefined and worked on your relationship with your mom, uh, but have chosen um, to kind of break away relationship, relations with your dad. Um, I don't want to pry too much into your business, but can you talk a little bit about that process and how how has that impacted you and your own recovery? Uh, yeah, of course. One, one of the things that I, I tell folks that I work with, the, the, the analogy that I make when it comes to a relationship, it, it's like ballroom dancing. <laughs> if, if you've got a willing dance partner, then it's it's worth dancing with them. But you can't dance with somebody that's not willing to show up and not willing to tango. Like if, if they're just not going to participate, if they're not going to do the work on themselves, and that's more than just saying you're sorry. You know, my dad did terrible things to me and he has said he's sorry more than once. Hmm. But if that sorry, if that apology is not backed up by real action and a real sense of remorse and a real sense of moving forward with love, that's that's not dancing with me in a way that I find acceptable. And so I haven't, I haven't spoken to him, I think probably 14 years at, by wow. this point. Okay. And, and I, for a long time, that was much more difficult than it is now, but for my own well-being, my own mental health, that was the right decision for me. Hmm. My mom is a different story. My mom has always been willing to be a, a, a dance partner with me. <laughs> My mom has always been willing to do some work on herself and work on our relationship. That does not mean that she does not still make mistakes. And it doesn't mean that I don't still make mistakes. We sure. make plenty of mistakes together. But I think we go into that relationship with a little bit more grace and a little bit more understanding. And we keep working on it. And as long as we can both acknowledge when we do make mistakes then it's worth moving forward and trying to make that relationship work. Mm. And so that's how I think about those relationships. I'm curious what, what the word home means to you. One of the reasons, or I guess the primary reason <laughs> I started this podcast was that's always been kind of a complex um, word for me. You've talked about your relationship with your parents. Um, I had a, challenging relationship um, with my father and mother, um, not the same situations. Every story is unique. They're both deceased now and I'm, and I miss them. Um, but home for me has always, you know, been kind of a mixed bag. It's had mixed feelings for me and I've had trouble kind of creating a sense of home for myself. Um, I'm single, never married, lived on my own most of my life. So I've, I've always been interested in what makes other people feel at home. I guess what I'm asking you is, is what does home mean to you? And what is your home life like now as compared to what you experienced growing up? It's a really good question. And home for me, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. Um, home... There's no, no wrong answers. Okay. <laughs> Home for me 
I see, this is tricky for me, Chip, because there's this one part of my brain that is saying that I should be okay on my own. Like there's this streak of independence inside of me that wants, and I can feel it pulling at me right now. Like that, Mm -hmm. that wherever I am, I am good, but that's just, there's this other part of my brain that is pulling me that reminds me that every day that I get up, my husband gives me a smile and a hug and a good morning. And I think back to what you were asking me about with my deep depression in my twenties. And it was, it was not me that got me through that. It was a lot of my boyfriend at the time, now husband who helped me get through that. And so there is, I think for everybody, a responsibility to do the work on yourself so that you're okay, wherever you are, that you get to be you and I get to be me and that is that is good and that is that is at home but there is also the joy and the love that gets created with another person and what gets created there very much feels like home to me that's a great answer that's a great answer yeah i think i think that for me being at home would mean living each day in integrity and to give that a little more context that I have not put on a mask that required that I surround myself with people or things that were only there to reinforce what that mask represented. And I can show up in my life and just be me. And the things and the people in my life reflect that. And if I can experience that, then I'm at home. If you're interested in connecting with Chad, learning more about his coaching services and his book and other resources, you can go to chadpv.com. That's C-H-A-D-P-E-E-V-Y.com. And we'll have that link and related links in in the show notes and on our website, homewhereyoubelong.com. Thanks again, Chad, for being with us. Thank you, Chad, for having me. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.